0: Marijuana smoking, experts point out, can make a helpless addict of its victim within weeks, causing physical and moral ruin and death. The first legally sold marijuana here goes to an Iraqi war veteran.
1: A new insurance study out this week looked at car crashes in several states that allow the use of recreational marijuana. Very Peter's. Your
0: doc, you've studied this, you've talked to the researchers. You're right. saying marijuana can kill cancer cells. Who taught
2: you how to do this stuff? You are right. I learned it by watching you. Marijuana
1: is illegal under federal law. States have legalized records. No wonder
0: you can't open your eyes. What do you expect doping yourself up with this wrong stuff? What do you know about pot?
2: Good morning. I'm Jen Procacci and you're listening to the Cannabis Hour, a bi-weekly radio program where we discuss all things cannabis. Today is Thursday, October 15th, and I'll be joined today by Monique Ramirez, a local community cannabis advocate and the founder of Covelo Cannabis Advocacy Group. Monique will be debriefing us on the passing motion made at Tuesday's Board of Supervisors meeting, which could have huge impacts on the local cannabis ordinance if it is voted in. In the meantime, we'll also be covering what's going on with the Hemp Pilot Program and the Cannabis Equity Program, if we have that time at the end. I'll be opening up my lines early for callers to make sure I can answer all your questions, because I know you'll definitely have some. That'll be happening right around 9.30. All right, let's bring Monique on and get started. I believe she's here with us. Monique, are you here on the air? Yes, I am. Good morning. morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Jen. I really appreciate it. Oh, yes. My pleasure. And would you mind introducing yourself to our listeners and also just telling them about your personal relationship with cannabis?
1: Sure. Um, My name is Monique Ramirez, and I hold a 2,500-square-foot cottage permit in Mendocino County, and I'm the founder of the Covalo Cannabis Advocacy Group, and I'm also um, a member of the Internal Policy Committee of the Mendocino Cannabis Alliance, so we've got a lot of... love for the cannabis plant, and I would say my relationship to it is that I feel married to her, so um, I live and breathe her and advocate for her, and um, so it's been a a fun journey so far in this life
0: (laughs) with cannabis.
2: Thank you, Mo, and thanks for all you do for our cannabis community. We have a lot to talk about, so I want to dive right in here. Um, This past Tuesday, the Board of Supervisors held a special meeting just to discuss uh, the Cannabis Ordinance, and there were a number of developments proposed for what is called Phase 3. And, Mo, would you like to explain to our listeners who may not know exactly what Phase 3 is?
1: Sure. So, I think um, the best way to describe it is that when we, when the county developed the cannabis ordinance back in 2017, it was set to um, launch in phases, and so the initial phase was phase one, which would include all of the legacy operators and. The Term was used because it would have to the people would have to provide documentation and proof that they were cultivating prior to January 1st of 2016 in order to be eligible for a permit. Um, And then phase two rolled out to include industrial lands, and then phase three was. Um, designed to allow people that didn't have proof of um, cultivation prior to that date to be able to move forward um, and in phase three there would be more limitations on what parcels would be allowed um, there was a grandfathering in of resource lands which include timber production zone which is often referred to as TPZ forest land which is referred to as FL and rangeland which is referred RL so um, And so in the phase three, it would not be allowing the uh, resource lands to continue operating. So that kind of gives you a a kind of generalized viewpoint of what the phase three would look like. Um, And so once the program launched, um, I think nobody anticipated for all of the problems that we've seen to happen in terms of getting people their actual county permit. And we've all been operating either in an embossed receipt in good faith with our county, or some people have actually received a county permit through this process. And alongside that, then the provisional licenses are the other part you have to have um, to operate at the state level. And the provisional uh, state licenses are set to expire at the end of next year. And so beginning January 1, um, 2022, you have to have an annual state license in hand in order to continue operating. And in order to have that, you have to uh, pass through the CEQA stuff, which you've talked about on other shows. Um, And so uh, unfortunately, we don't have enough people through the phase one application process, and so it's been really hard for the community to even want to have a conversation about opening phase three, which is essentially new people um, getting in line when so many people are still in line and have been since 2017, and so that's kind of another overarching issue that I think is really important to understand in our community. So, um, And so it's been really hard, I think, for everybody, not only the people that are in the program but also staff, as well as the county supervisors, everyone trying to figure out how to get people to their licenses uh, annually, for or annual licenses, and move forward, and then be able to open up Phase 3. And so that's kind of where it's at. So they ended up bringing up the Phase 3 requirements and the zoning table. And if people want to ever look at this zoning table, it's located um, in... 20.242 of the zoning code. There's a table there and you can see it really nicely. Um, And so it's outlining what parcels are gonna be allowed. Um, Originally, they were discussing allowing RR5, which um, the RR stands for Rural Residential, um, with a five acre minimum, and then RR10, which would typically have 10 acres, and then um, allowing AG, Uh, lands and upland residential and of course the industrial parcels as well and so in the discussion on Tuesday they ended up deciding to um, take out the RR5 parcels and uh, and instead kind of swapped it out for allowing range land parcels to be allowed which typically weren't going to be available in phase three because they were part of the resource lands so um, the proposed changes, uh, you know, definitely took a different turn towards the end and there was a lot of discussion and I think it needs to be clarified to the community that this was just direction to staff to start working on this zoning table and then bring it back to the board at a future date to then be voted on. So nothing is actually set in place and no ordinance has actually been adopted yet. So I think that needs to be really clear to the community. Um, And if you'd like, I can run through the actual Board motion, or just kind of break out what it all means, um, if you'd like. Yeah, I think
2: that would be great. Why don't we Why don't we run through it and, and then break out the meaning behind um, the different proposals? There, I think that would be wonderful.
1: Okay, so the motion uh, was made by Supervisor McCowan, and it was seconded by Supervisor Jurde. And the motion reads that the Board directs staff to proceed with development of the Phase Three ordinance based on a discretionary permit process and to revise the zoning table to remove RR5, to revise the two-acre minimums to be five-acre minimums, to require a major use permit for rangeland zoning, to require that the current administrative permit for a nursery on rural residential 10-acre parcels require a minor use permit. In referring to the 10-plus categories for upland residential zoning, allow those permit types with a major use permit. Likewise, in rangeland, allowing those permit types with a major use permit. In ag, allowing those permit types with a minor use permit. They will not be allowing medium outdoor in industrial zones, but we are allowing the medium indoor and medium mixed light with an administrative permit. Uh, number asterisk two and three being retained with that flexibility, and that in, is in reference to the. The table chart. And we're clarifying that on points five and six of the staff memo, we are going with option two, and we are also clarifying that we are supporting aligning with all of the state permit license types. Clarification: this ordinance will be within Title 22 of the land use of the county code. And we there was support for this motion by every supervisor with hash check dissenting. Um, so Some people are like, whoa, what does all that mean? And unfortunately, since we can't have a table to look at um, visually, I'm a visual person, I'm sure that was a little hard to digest. It's a long motion. Um, So I'll just kind of break it out and make it a little more simplified for people to understand. Um, The first thing is that in Phase 3, again, you don't have to prove prior cultivation at this time in order to qualify. So this is essentially lands that have never had cultivation on them. So it will not be allowed in the RR5 part. And again, that's Rural Residential uh, 5. Um, there is going to be a minimum acreage requirement for everyone that is um, applying in uh, Phase 3 for all different all the different zonings that will be allowed. And you have to have at least five acres or more to even cultivate a 2,500 square foot cottage uh, permit size. Um, they changed the nursery permits. Um, originally, if you had an RR10, um, you would have to have uh, an administrative permit in order to get a nursery license, and now it's gonna require that you actually bump up to using a minor use permit process. Um, And I'll also define what minor use permit, administrative permit, and major use permit costs are um, later. Um, There will not be um, any medium outdoor permits allowed in industrial zones, and the medium outdoor permits uh, would have allowed one up to one acre so you can't do that if you're in an industrial zone for outdoor um, But they are going to allow a medium Indoor and a medium mixed light in those industrial zones, but you'll have to obtain an administrative permit um, There was no discussion about um, the reopening of phase one in this motion and um and as it stands, there's no expansion for anyone that's outside of the ag, upland, residential, or rangeland parcels um, for phase one. So if you're lucky and you were in phase one and had ag, upland, residential, or, or rangeland, you now have an opportunity to scale up. Um, And with that, the upland, residential, and rangeland, um, since they are going to be allowed in phase three, um, you will have to have a major use permit type, or major use type permit for um, all sizes up to one acre, but only for the outdoor. That's what was outlined on the table. If you want to do medium indoor and medium mixed light on the table that they have, this wasn't part of the motion, but it was discussed, would possibly be up to 22,000 square feet, and it will be allowed in rangeland and in upland residential um, with a major use permit. So, um, and all the ag land parcels will only require an administrative permit in Phase three, except for the medium outdoor, that you'll have to bump up to using a minor use permit. So, and then, basically, I don't know the exact, um, you know, details of what all the different permits styles are in terms of administrative permit all the way up to the major use. Um, one is not as lengthy and rigorous to go through. It's more of almost like an over-the-counter type of process, um, of course, with oversight. And then as you, you know, go up in the up to the major use, then it can require and does require a uh, planning commission hearing um, along with public input. And I believe that the major use permit process can also include that pathway. It just depends on the findings of the application that's turned in. And an administrative permit right now for cannabis zoning projects is currently uh, $1,261 and a minor use permit will cost $2,511, and a major use permit will cost $6,620. And I obtain these fees from the master fee schedule that you can find on the county website under the executive uh, office tab. So um, so that's kind of, a, you know, a, the overview of what we're looking at um, there was also discussion, and this also was not part of the motion, but to potentially allow for the uh, the new medium category for cultivation up to a 10% allowance of your acreage to be allowed to cultivate um, as uh, canopy. So basically if you had... For simplicity, a hundred-acre rangeland parcel, you could be allowed to cultivate up to ten acres of that in cannabis. So that was definitely—I um, took. I think it took a lot of people by surprise in the community that that was potentially a direction that this board may end up going in. Um, And especially because there's been so much pushback for even allowing uh, one acre and to hear we might go beyond that just felt very – it was very uh, surprising, (laughs) I guess I could say. So –
2: Yes, I agree. Um Thank you so much for breaking that down for us and explaining that for those who may not know about those terms and such. Um, something I wanted to ask you is that there is there a date proposed for the opening of Phase three? Yes,
1: currently they're trying to get this in order to set or to begin on April 1st of uh, 2021. So um, I think that was also another reason that because even though we have these issues with phase one, the staff was really concerned that if we if the county wanted to try to get a phase three program opened up by that timeline, we really the the board really needed to discuss it yesterday to get. that directive because it's going to take time for the staff to put it all together and get it written into the code and bring it back for a vote and, you know, that that whole process that takes place. So, um, but as it stands, that is when it would go into effect, but again, it still has to come back to the board to be voted on and there's still more opportunity for more revisions on the table potentially and modifications and all of that kind of stuff. So. I think it's important for the community to know that, especially those that are, you know, even looking to purchase properties right now. It's, you know, you want to make sure that you don't buy a piece of land that you won't end up being eligible to cultivate on. So I think that's important.
2: Absolutely. And we have seen major flips in the past when it comes time for something to actually get voted in, so it's important to emphasize that people shouldn't be making, you know, life-changing decisions based on this information that we're hearing in its um, sort of infant stages right now.
1: Yeah, so I agree. Um, especially because people yeah. thought R five, you know, has was going to be allowed in this phase three, and now that's off the table. So, and Rangeland is on the table. So, definitely is a game changer for many people out there.
2: Yeah, and that's very surprising to, for me to hear that. So, a question that I have. For you, you know, as a cultivator myself and someone in the program who is still trying to get all the way through to getting my state license, um, did the county have any kind of proposed plan for how staff would be able to handle this additional workload when it seems like they're already struggling so much to just deal with what's going on with everyone still in phase one?
1: Um, that's a great question, and it actually was asked by Supervisor Hashtag. He had a lot of concerns um, about Phase Three and how it would impact um, our process for Phase One. and staff's response to that question was that they weren't prepared to discuss that because they were there to discuss just the table and all of, you know, the requirements around it, and so they didn't have a prepared answer for it, um, which I think is very alarming and concerning, especially because, you know, people are waiting in line right now and to think we're going to add more people to the line. And this will be a discretionary review process. It's going to look much different than the process for phase one, um, which is ministerial. And so, you know, people are potentially, Ted Williams actually brought it up that he fears that some phase three people will actually reach their annual license before the phase one operators do, um, just because of the way things are, are happening right now. Um, and that's concerning that that feels really heartbreaking actually i mean just you know imagine yourself just standing in line to go to a concert and you've been waiting for like two years and then all of a sudden <laughs> someone's got the vip gold pass and then just like boom gets to the front of the line you're like what i've been here this whole time waiting so that part feels it's just it's just unfortunate i really feel like the county must prioritize everybody that has come forward in good faith and to recognize that it was such a courageous act to even come forward Um, in 2017 when this ordinance was first being drafted and it's gone through so many revisions and changes and everybody has been so dedicated to this process and you know it's It sparked us to get political, to get engaged and to start attending board meetings and to be involved in the process and try to have a say in how it would be navigated and molded and to know that we might just end up getting pushed to the side for the allowance of people that are better funded, um, that can't afford to do environmental review for CEQA independently. And, um, you know, it's just really hard to, to... see that that possibility is going to potentially could happen. And we're talking about legacy operators and not just cottage growers like myself, but people that are also cultivating up to a 10,000 square foot, um, footprint. And so, you know, it's taken a lot of effort to get into this program and it hasn't been easy. If you talk to anyone in it, I don't think anyone, even the ones that hold a permit, including myself, that it's been an easy process. my, personal land. I've had to go through a lot of um, changes. I've had to um, bring a lot of things into compliance that weren't, and um, including getting my house permitted and all kinds of things like that. And, and it's good. I'm glad that we did those things, but it definitely cost a lot of money and it took a lot of time. And, um, and I still don't have any for sure guarantee that I'm going to be able to continue operating um, because I don't know what the path is going to be for annual licenses. And so that just makes it really, really, um, really hard to, to do this right now. <laughs>
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I think about it, it just seems like such a huge disservice to those in our community who have built the reputation of Mendocino County as a cannabis producing region, which really paved the way for us to even be having this program in the first place. Um, The thought of of us all getting, you know, sort of pushed to the side for the VIP pass holders, as you put it, is truly heartbreaking. And um, it definitely comes across to me as something that is designed to favor. Like you said, those are more those who are more well-funded and um, sort of those with a big business approach, which is very sad that we're not doing more as a county to promote small farmers and regenerative farming practices. Um, because it seems like small business and, and small farming is, is sort of a backbone of Mendocino County. It's really part of our identity. And it's hard for me to understand why um, our county government doesn't want to cement that identity more with some practices that would be um, more friendly for those that are choosing to go down that path. Something that I wanted to make sure we talked about was how these proposed um, parameters for Phase 3 could affect legacy cultivators who aren't currently permitted um, but were hoping to possibly enter the legal market once Phase 3 opens up. Are there any? Is there anything that pops out to you um, as a barrier of entry to those folks and when i say legacy cultivators for those who may not you know know that term i'm talking about um you know og farmers people that have been here for a very long time they might be second or third generation um, cannabis cultivators here in mendocino county and there's a lot of those folks out there um, as we all know that didn't choose to enter the legal market Uh, they wanted to see how the ordinance worked out you know x y and z seems totally reasonable to me but they're hoping to be able to get licenses and join the legal market. How do we think these proposed parameters could affect those people?
1: Well, I think, first off, um, cost is going to be an issue. I mean, everyone's going to have to before it was a zoning clearance for pretty much all um, cultivation styles um, under phase one unless you expanded up to a 10,000 square foot and um, weren't part of the 9.31 program and so people have had to do an administrative permit under phase one for some types but um, now you know this bar is getting bumped up now to requiring potentially either a minor use permit or a major use permit um, for these phase three operators and it kind of depends. Like if you're in, if you're a legacy operator, um, but you actually have ag land, um, and, but you just never or Let's see, it's kind of a oxymoron there. Yeah, I guess if you're a legacy operator in resource lands, um, there's not really an opportunity right now unless you had rangeland to be able to come into this program. So, uh, under the phase three. You know, requirements, and I think everyone was really hoping to see that discussion happen and uh, some sort of allowance for the reopening of phase one. Um, One thing that they did discuss was allowing potentially phase one operators that aren't going to make it through the uh, the process, um, inevitably at the end, um, to be able to then also get in line under the phase three. And those people that do hold a permit currently in the resource lands would still be able to be eligible to apply under phase three, but they wouldn't get to uh, participate in anything beyond the size that they're already at, which is up to a 10,000 square foot. Um, But I I feel like cost is always going to be a factor. It's already, you know, almost $2,000 to get a county permit right now, and that's just the county permit. And so adding this next layer of administrative permit and minor use permit, major use permit fees on top of that is pretty expensive. So, um, and... um, Yeah, I think that that's definitely going to be a challenge for people to overcome. And hopefully, once the equity grant program is uh, officially launched, that there will be some dollars that people can apply to put for um, the expenses of those fees for the permits. Um, That is a possibility. So.
2: Yeah. Mo, I'm going to, we're having a little bit of a hard time hearing you, so I was wondering if you would mind hanging up and calling back right away and hoping that we could get a clearer connection. Would that be possible? Yeah, no problem. Okay. So, um, while we're waiting for Mo to come back on, I just want to remind our listeners that it is KZYX's birthday and also it's our quiet drive. So here at the station, uh, we don't want to interrupt crucial programming with a traditional fundraising drive. So we are having a quiet drive in the hopes of raising enough money to meet our budget goal. KZYX is committed to covering emerging stories and delving into the details of what's happening right now by bringing you the voices of people in our community who have that information. This vital news coverage as well as KZYX's essential music coverage, is made possible through community support. If you're a member of KZYX, thank you. Your support ensures local journalism, statewide and national coverage, and an informed public. Help sustain our vital community resource. It's an important time for us all to be well informed. KZYX is bringing you reliable information about the coronavirus, facts from local health care professionals, and information about schools, the census, fires, and other emergency coverage, and the resources available to you. You depend on reliable information so you can make informed decisions. We're able to bring you this important coverage thanks to the generosity of listeners who gave during earlier fundraisers. Please join them and join the KZYX community. Send a check to P.O. Box 904, Philo, California, 95466. Visit our website at kzyx.org and use the donate button or call us at 707-895-2324 during business hours to, to arrange a donation over the phone. We have thank you gifts available including KZYX socks, bandanas, tote bags, an emergency solar and crank-powered radio. You can view these thank you gifts on our website, kzyx.org. All right. I believe that Mo is back here with us. Are you there, Mo? Yeah. Hopefully you can hear me okay. Oh, it sounds clear as a bell, so thanks so much for doing that. Thanks so much for doing that. No problem. So we're going to open up the phone lines in just a moment here, but before we do that, I was wondering if you could possibly define for us what the difference is between an administrative and a discretionary permit. We talked about how these um, larger businesses who may come in during Phase 3 could possibly wind up getting their permits before Phase 1 cultivators, and part of the reason was this discretionary uh, a discretionary review process is actually what you called it. Um, so, could you explain what that is, if you know? Yeah, um, it's basically like creating this site-specific
1: review on your your project, and um, this is the land use method um, that's being advocated for. So. Um, for phase three as well as potentially moving us from phase one um, from a ministerial to that process. Um, and the ministerial process, it's basically like we look at the ordinance, you have to meet all of the requirements, and if you do, you get your permit. Um, if you don't meet the requirements, you don't get a permit. And with a land use process, there could be maybe a reason that you wouldn't be eligible to get a permit because you don't meet some requirement, but then they can place a condition on it, But you know, and just for generalization, potentially let's say your garden is not in the most ideal site because it impacts you know some special frog and so in those findings they determine you know what you've got all this land and over here is actually a better place so if you move your garden over here then you're not impacting the frog and we'll go ahead and let you have a permit whereas with the ministerial process you know that possibility doesn't exist and that's just a general idea it could be something completely different but um, It's a way to allow these conditions to be put on it um, is the best way that I've
2: understood it. Okay, great. That's very clear. Thank you for explaining that to us. So, at this time, I'm going to go ahead and open up the lines to callers while Mo and I keep our conversation going. So, if you're out there and you've got a question or a comment or you'd like us to clarify something for you, don't hesitate to give us a call. The number where you can reach us is 707-895-2448. That number, again, is 707-895-2448. So while we're waiting for some callers to join us, um, before we move on to any of our other topics, Mo, is there anything more you want to say on this subject of Phase 3 and the meeting that happened on Tuesday? Yeah, I just, um, you
1: know, even though it wasn't part of the motion, the potential allowance of a medium uh, size permit in our county, which would be beyond an acre, um, with this potential 10% variance of your land designation is just really concerning to me, um, as well as a lot of members in our Covalo Advocacy Group, and I'm sure others in the community share the same concern. Um, I think it needs to be understood what type of cultivation we're talking about. Is this for biomass production, or are people that are seeking these types of Permits going to continue to try to craft a boutique style. Um flower product to put into the marketplace and if it's for the craft model then that's really concerning for our small producers because uh, adding more cannabis to what's already out there is going to be really hard um, in terms of the supply and demand and the pricing and I think one of the arguments and statements that many people make are like well look at all the other counties they're able to do these large footprints in Santa Barbara and Lake County's opening it up to unlimited and so we have to be able to you know do the same and I personally am like why would we want to model after after those things? Like, we should be the leaders and charging a different path towards agriculture. And, yes, there's all kinds of other models out there that are done in agriculture that are allowing tracks and tracks of land. But when we examine the soil of those types of um, cultivation styles for other crops, like, I don't think that it's very healthy. And, you know, all these documentaries are coming out. There was a recent one, I believe, about soil Um Uh, on Netflix, and, and, you know, there's been many others. And we have to get back to regenerative um, soil-building practices. We have to give back to our earth. We can't just keep depleting it. And we're going to think about allowing all these acres and acres and acres of any kind of crop, I don't care what it is, um, unless it's got some sort of biodiversity embedded in it, like, we should not be promoting that. Like, that's just not the way to go. And, um, you know, we need to incorporate biodiversity. It's just so, so important for the health of the soil so that we can continue to farm the land. Um, You know, it takes a long time to rebuild topsoil that's been depleted like almost 200 years so unless people are willing to double dig by hand and re- rebuild that soil you know it's it's going to take a long time and um i just it's just really concerning i was really hoping that mendocino county would be a leader in Taking a different approach, and in our Covelo advocacy group, when we've talked about expansion, we've had many discussions, and we have operators that do have ag land that want to go up to an acre um, if they were available, if that was available to them, and we have producers that want to stay small and don't believe in that model for our county. And through our discussions as a group, we came up with what we felt was the was the compromise, and that would be to allow a twenty two thousand square foot print. Um, for operators but across the board for everyone that's currently holding a license. And now that we're discovering we're going to have to scale, if you scale up beyond the 10,000 square foot, you're automatically going to have to go through a use permit process because it's not even captured in our mitigated negative declaration. And so that would be the opportunity to define that, no, your parcel doesn't meet the requirements. It doesn't. It's not supported by the water and the slope and the this and the that. Or it does. And so I think that if someone can prove that for their land um, and go up to a 22,000 square foot footprint in the resource lands, in these areas that people are so concerned about, uh, not letting cultivation occur, yet we're going to say hemp can go there, that's like another topic, Um, then we we really have to look at that. And this would provide an opportunity for everyone to be able to scale up if they in fact choose to do so. So I know some community members may think that I personally am like anti-expansion, and I'm not. I'm just, I want it to be done in a healthy way. I want it to be done responsibly and I want it to be done in a way that's equitable for everybody and fair. And so this would provide, you know, a double, uh, increasing double from what people are doing right now. Um, and I think that you can still make a great income, you can still have a great business, and then let's approach it later in another fashion and re-examine, uh, you know, scaling up at another point in time, you know, we're always going to be limited by our water and by what we can produce on our land. And you don't want to just bulldoze your whole property just to grow one crop, you know, it's like, that's not good. And so, um, you know, and of course, once we have a more markets to sell our product to, then that will also help the situation. But currently, there's only I think, less than 600 retail locations to even sell um, commercial cannabis to right now. And it's hard. It's not easy. And so to think that we're going to add even more cultivation to the table, I mean, even when the state opens up their unlimited size, I'm really curious how this is going to play out. Like, how are small farms going to compete in this model? Um, If it's for biomass production, I almost think that it is a separate type of product. Um, You know, that kind of material doesn't go into you know, jars that are on the shelves. Like, this is going into extra, into an extract type of product and then used for vape cartridges and stuff like that. And so, but if people are going to find a way to make this model work for a cottage, um, not cottage, but a craft type product, on this large scale, like, then for sure it's going to impact small farms and put us out because we cannot compete with lowering our price to almost nothing. We will go out of business because we're limited by our amount to produce. And, um, and so, you know, it's a tricky topic. It's really, um, it's embedded with a lot of different things and our reputation as a county and where the future of agriculture is headed. And I just think we have an opportunity to be leaders in it and to set the stage for how we want to be. And we have people in our county that Have won the Regenerative Farming Award in Mendocino County many times from the Emerald Cup, um, two of which have come right out of Covalo. And that's so amazing. Like, there are people setting the stage right now to change the viewpoint of how agriculture needs to be done, and especially for cannabis. Like, to see vegetables produced alongside the cannabis plant, and herbs, and flowers, like, it invites all kinds of other pollinators. And in a time when, you know, things are collapsing around us and there's scarcity of these. Um, beautiful butterflies like monarchs are disappearing and bees are having issues and so to create this biodiversity is really wonderful and I just really encourage everyone to think deeply about that in their own operations and finding any way they can to close the loop to incorporate these ideas and it's not just for your own business model but it's for the future models it's for the future children and the future generations to come like we have this opportunity and I wish we could all step into that leadership role and promote that and and recognize that small farms matter. Like, we mean something. We're a part of this community, and we've been here, and we're giving back, and we support our local food operations and our co-ops and our radio stations and fundraisers and all of those things. And, you know, like, I'm a small farm, and I don't expect everyone to stay as small as me. I mean, I'm, like, so tiny compared to the rest. And I'm still finding a way to to be in this space. Uh, in this space. And I want to prove that we can do it and we can make it and we can survive. That's why I got into this advocacy work was to fight to have a seat at this table as a small operator and to show the state that we matter and we mean something and that we can't just be pushed away so large corporations can build up their brand and build up their model, um, and put us out. Like, I don't want to see that happen. Like, we don't need more Walmarts, like, sprouting up. We need more small businesses operating. So, that's kind of my speech. That I really want to share with this community in Mendocino County for anyone that's listening out there
2: that's so beautiful mo and i have to say i'm right there with you i absolutely agree with everything that you said and it's so sad to hear you know some of the misconceptions about cannabis and some of the problems that you know people outside of the cannabis community have with cultivation oftentimes center around this concept that farming cannabis is harmful to the land and harmful to the environment and you know when we talk about expansion and bringing in You know, 60 acres of cannabis farming, if you have a 600-acre parcel, but not promoting and providing incentives for those who are engaging in regenerative farming practices, it really saddens me so much. And I'm just so glad that there's people like you out there fighting for the small farmers because we really need all the help that we can get. And I just want to remind our listeners if you're out there and you want to give us a call and join this conversation that we're having or if you have a question about something we talked about and you'd like some clarity, just give us a call. That number is 707-895-2448. That's seven zero seven eight nine five two four four eight, and you are listening to the Cannabis Hour, if you're just tuning in. And we're going to be here with you on the air for just about, um, let's see, 18 more minutes here. Uh, Well, Mo, something you mentioned in that wonderful speech that you just gave was hemp, and I would love to talk a little bit about what is going on with the hemp pilot program in Mendocino County. So would you mind giving us an update on that?
1: Sure. Um,
2: So the board meeting before
1: this Tuesday um, was to... Uh, launch potentially a pilot program for Mendocino County and that did get voted in with a three to two vote. Um, McCowan, uh, Dan Jurde, and Supervisor Carrie Brown all uh, voted in favor of that with Hashtag and Ted Williams not. And it's going to be allowed um, for only five applicants to apply, and there's a lot of unknown still in terms of the requirements. There was never a discussion about the size uh, of the operation that would be allowed, um, but they did discuss uh, the zoning, and uh, I thought it was interesting that county council, um, when asked about the zoning, they said it's uh, it will be allowed wherever field and row crops are allowed because hemp is designated as an agricultural product um, and federally and so then they uh, said and essentially our entire zoning in Mendocino County allows for field and row crops so it means that potentially uh, you know an operator may be able to turn in an application and be in resource lands and cultivate hemp and I don't know, I'm assuming that the board is going to discuss further the parameters around what will be allowed for the acreage. Um, And for hemp producers that are using extracts, like you have to produce acres and acres of it because you're turning it into an oil. And so what's really just super uh, perplexing to me is that we're going to sit here and say, Cannabis cannot be grown in resource lands. We need to close phase one. We need to shut this down. And then turn around and say, oh, but hemp, oh, yeah, you're good. You can totally grow in the resource lands and however much you want, totally, fine. (laughs) It's like, what? What are we talking about here? Like, this can't be this double standard. Like, because the plant is no different. It's one that has a little bit of THC. You know, and then another that has way more. But the plant still needs the same things to grow. It needs water. It needs its nutrients and its soil and all of that kind of stuff. And so I just don't understand how some supervisors can uh, define it differently in their mind and then vote for regulation that is totally contradictory in terms of uh, what's appropriate in land on land and what's not. So... And, again, I still think, um, you know, if we were doing hemp for fiber production, like, that would be so exciting. That would be so amazing. And, unfortunately, that's not really what's happening. People are going to be doing it for CBD production. And um, the standards for hemp are much less than the regulation for cannabis um, in terms of testing requirements and pesticide sprays. Um, it's not looked at in the same way. it's really treated like traditional agriculture, and so that's also another really scary point to consider because these farms that may be sprouting up in our communities um, could potentially impact neighboring cannabis farms just solely due to the wind drift and you know the conversation of pollination is also a huge topic. There's not a lot of research um, out there to look to for um, how far how far pollen travels there was one study that i found in morocco and it looked like it can go up to 30 miles um so there's not a lot of protections against hemp potentially impacting cannabis um they did try to put in some uh or there was a discussion about require and i think it is going to be a requirement that you have to use feminized clones um to mitigate that there will be an inspection by the county but you know one of the concerns i have is like Our county can't even keep up with all the inspections they have to do with the cannabis program how can they even think that they're going to be able to monitor hemp producers even if only at five applicants but if they have you know acres and acres like do we really believe that an inspector can walk every plant and really inspect every leaf and branch to make sure that no um, hermaphrodited you know, branches are are sprouting up. And the cannabis plant is magical. In my own experience, uh, we pretty much only produce uh, from seed, and uh, it's more likely to have hermaphrodite tendencies to express themselves, but it can still happen with clones. It's not an absolute definitive no. It it still can happen. And in my findings, I feel like the plant becomes – You know, it's very in tuned, and it's like, wait a minute, uh, we we got to be able to spread our diversity here. Okay, we're going to sprout out this little hermaphrodited branch on the back corner of the garden in this small section that you're not going to see. Like, they're sneaky, and it happens. It's happened to us, and we've gotten lucky and caught it, you know, late August before the pollen just totally burst open. So, you know, and this question was raised in the meeting and asked how, um, what would be the 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 measure the county would take for anybody that did get impacted from a potential cross pollination, and the response from the county staff was that you know they really it would be hard to tell. You'd have to really prove mm-hmm. that it came from your from that hemp farm, um, and so that just opens it up to being like, yeah, it's going to seem really difficult for anyone to be accountable for something like that happening, and um, and of Absolutely. course birds can yeah and it's like birds can uh bring things in especially pests and actually uh, on Tuesday I did in public comment raise this issue about pest um for hemp production and and just in general too it's like we've experienced hemp russet mites or not hemp russet mites but hemp um the hemp bang aphid um over the last two years on our farm and we've never had that before it's came in probably from a bird, and, you know, now we have to find ways to mitigate that with our garden, and I know in the Valley in Covalo, a lot of farms have experienced a, a proliferation mm-hmm. of uh, russet mites taking over their farms, and, you know, people are amazing, though, and resilient and find ways organically to mitigate these issues, um, but, you know, I think producers that don't have those standards placed on them, and they can spray something that will just kill it immediately are going to use that, but that's a a chemical that is disallowed in cannabis, and so that kind of thing is also going to create a wind drift to potentially impact cannabis farms um, with testing, so it's another huge concern, and um, I'm not exactly sure the start date of the hemp cannabis pilot program. I do believe it's going to run for two years, Um, and I think the feeling overall by the board members that supported it was that they wanted just um, see how it goes, um, to see if there is a way for this to coexist with the cannabis farms in our community, Um, and if they don't adopt some type of ordinance, then we'll never know. And for me, I feel personally that to take that chance and that risk um, for all of the farms that exist currently in the cannabis world just feels like it's too detrimental to even want to risk that. And I personally support hemp all the way. I support it for CBD production. I support it for fiber production, but just not in our community, not in a place that's a legacy-producing cannabis um, region, and it's more suitable in other areas of our state. And that's where I think it should be. um, That's where that should happen. So, uh, yeah, we're going to have to really keep our eye on this.
2: Yes. I'm, I hate to interrupt you here, Mo, but we have two callers on the line, and I want to patch them through quickly. So thank you for that great um, hemp update, and yes, I absolutely agree. It's uh, it's, uh, really crazy. Oh, it looks crazy. like our callers are gone. But callers, we have time for you. If you want to call back in and um, join this conversation, we'd love to hear from you. Sorry to not get you on in time there, but we still would love to hear what you have to say. So call us back if you want to join this conversation or ask a question. That number is 707-895-2448 and we will get you on the air right away. So, um, oh, we do have one caller on. All right. Are you there? You're live on the Cannabis Hour. This hour. Yeah, I'm here. yeah, I'm here. Yeah, I want to thank Monique yeah, and all you guys for the show. And
1: uh, I really love hearing Monique speak about all because she brings a passion um, that's so needed for
0: the small farmer. And um, just applaud you for the courage to get up there and continually... Put yourself out there and uh, stand up for everyone. So thank you, Mo. And I also wanted to ask if you guys had any information, maybe, if you'd heard or seen any evidence that supports the use of clones, um, because I would understand that they would be genetically identical plants, and if that leads to more pest problems um, for the growers. Thank you.
2: Thanks, caller. Do you like to respond to that question about clones? And I'm assuming that the caller is um, means in pertaining to hemp production. Yeah, that's a great
1: question. And unfortunately, I'm I'm not a I don't actually use clones even in my cannabis production, so I'm not really as familiar with it. Um, I know that our county has um, been very. Uh, against having any type of genetically modified stuff happening in our county and we have a ban on that and I think it is um, also applies to cannabis stuff so um, but I'm sure the technology exists out there but as it stands right now that wouldn't be allowed under our ordinance but again it would you know it it begs to uh, examine how will this be enforced? How can we actually enforce these kind of regulations, um, especially with the limited staff that we already have in our county? So I wish I had more to answer that question
2: yeah great question though caller and we have time for maybe just about one or two more quick calls so if you're out there listening and if you were one of our callers earlier that didn't get on the air in time please feel free to call back and we'll get you on right away and that number if you're listening is 707 895 2448 that is 707 895 2448 so Mo real quick we talked a lot today about phase one and the problems that cultivators who are waiting for their licenses are experiencing and the stress we're feeling at the potential mention of the opening of phase three. Oh, It looks like we've got a caller, so we're going to put them on. Caller, are you there? You're live on the cannabis hour. Yes, ma'am. Uh, I just want to let you know there's not a problem with your signal. I mean, with your uh, guest signal, but
0: every time you, you <clears throat> excuse me, every time you finish speaking, there's like an echo that happens, like the last five words you said. So I don't know if you guys want to look at that in the future or whatever. But also, I wanted to point out, she said that in Morocco, there's a it gets maybe 30 miles to pollen. And I have some really close friends in Colorado, and they opened up a big uh, hemp farm uh, that was about 45, 50 miles away, and it completely destroyed their entire crop. It was really sad. They, they <laughs> were devastated, so we're devastated.
2: just throwing that up there with
0: Sam McDonnell and all the yeah. close friends.
2: Thank you for that caller and I do want to say yeah, thank you for acknowledging the echoing. Um, It is something that we are not sure how to fix and uh, thanks for bearing with us to our listeners. Um, Because of COVID we're doing remote broadcasting and I'm actually not in the studio right now so there are sometimes some technical difficulties associated with that that we're not sure how to handle so I thank everyone for bearing with us um, while we explore this new way of broadcasting in the face of the pandemic so we have one more caller we're going to put them on it looks like we don't or caller are you live on the cannabis hour live on the cannabis hour Okay. I think that we lost them. All right. So, yeah, that is sad to hear of someone actually experiencing a mass pollination event. I think that's a really big fear that cultivators have, um, myself definitely included. But, um, okay, one more caller. So this is going to be our last one. Caller, are you live on the Cannabis Hour? Yes. yes. All right. Yes, we've got you on. Go ahead.
0: Got Go ahead. I just wanted to say uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear you guys talking about the um, potential dangers of hemp being in Mendocino County. Uh, I think everybody recognizes that knows about it, understands the benefits of hemp, um, and I think a lot of uh, cannabis farmers here get painted as selfish for not wanting hemp that they that we want it all for ourselves, but. I really think it needs to be paid attention that Mendocino is a very unique environment that is well-suited for full-term cannabis, whereas one of the beauties about the cannabis plant, hemp plant, is that it can literally be grown anywhere and is good for the soil. But you can't get full-term, outdoor, sun-grown cannabis in many other places in the country that's going to be as beautiful and as expressive as the stuff that we are able to grow here. So I think it's just a matter of Mendocino County kind of staying in their lane and not trying to cash in on every opportunity to make a dime that comes along and to focus on what is that we have here that we can do with and that we can support our county
2: economically. So thanks for talking about it. Yeah, thank you, caller, for coming to share that thought. And we've just got two minutes left here. So, Mo, I'm going to give it to you. If you just want to quickly say anything else before we wrap it up or if there's anything you're working on that you'd like our listeners to know about, please go ahead and share that.
1: Yeah, I just want to thank you again for um, having this show and to always be tracking what's happening at the county Um you know, supervisor office and figuring out what's going on with our ordinance and all the changes, I think, you know, we're still working through it and I, you know, my heart goes out to every cultivator that's trying to get in this process, to those that are in line waiting and to those that, um, you know, wish to get into this process that don't have an opportunity right now and I hope that we can continue to work together collaboratively as a community to find ways to make this all work for everyone so we can all live in harmony with nature and with, you know, a beautiful business and give back to our community. I think it's just so important. And, um, yeah, and I'm hoping that as time moves on that the county will recognize um, the valuable uh, impacts that we can create as our businesses um, here in Mendocino County and find ways to make it work for everybody and that we can all have a thriving business.
2: Thank you, Mo. That is a beautiful vision that I definitely share. And thank you so much for everything you do for the cannabis community. I don't know how you do it on top of being a cultivator and also a mom. So my hat is off to you. And thanks so much for joining us today and sharing all this great information um, on there for all our listeners. So it looks like that's all the time have for today thanks for tuning in this has been the cannabis hour on kzyx and i'll be back two weeks from today with another episode for you so i hope you tune in then and until i uh, see you again have a beautiful day thank you